0: Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Well folks, today on the Cuse Conversations alumni podcast, I am pleased to welcome on Greg Allen, a former Syracuse football player, a proud alum of Syracuse University. He has a terrific story to tell you as one of the members of the Syracuse Eight. And for those who don't know, we're gonna get into the details of the Syracuse Eight, the racial issues that were taking place on Syracuse University's campus in the late 60s and early 70s, and the role that Greg and a lot of his teammates took in Fighting for Racial Equality, these topics are extremely timely given everything we're dealing with here in 2020, with George Floyd, with Jacob Blake, with all of these social justice movements that are taking place across the country. And Greg, I know that's kind of an overarching way to get into our conversation, but first of all, I want to welcome you to the podcast, and I hope that you're doing well during these tumultuous times.
1: Uh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I, I'm, I'm doing well. Me, me and the family are doing well. Thank you for asking. appreciate that, John.
0: Does it strike you a bit as deja vu um, the history is repeating itself and we're kind of going through a lot of these same issues that you and your teammates, you know, fought through 50 years ago?
1: Yeah, yeah yes and no. I, I think, you know, uh, uh, history tends to move in, in trends. Um, I don't, uh, don't want to misquote, but uh, I believe it was Lenin who said that, you know, there are decades when there's no change. And then there are weeks when decades change. And uh, uh, and I think we're in that period now. I think that, um, uh, you know, we went through a period of maybe the last, you know, 30 years or so where everyone assumed, you know, that uh, we had a handle on or at least um, had control over, you know, most of the racial issues and tensions and social justice issues, you know, here in, in the United States, but... Um, uh, again as events um uh, occur uh we're reminded and of course you know sometimes past histories are, are brought up and then we also see that you know that it isn't a history that is is it really a current event but one that we just haven't given that much attention to until now
0: what similarities uh, and again we'll get into the Syracuse aid in your story but just to start off what similarities do you see between the racial uh, racial climate and the racial tensions now and when you were a student back in the 60s and 70s?
1: I think a lot of it has to do with education and awareness. Um, When you go back and you think about the late 60s, early 70s, of course, you have to think about uh, the civil rights era. And that that was a specific era uh, bringing uh, uh, Black people and people of color uh, to a certain point in history, um, we were shedding uh, the Jim Crow laws and and all those things, and um, we were now addressing uh, social justice and civil rights openly in courts. Voting Rights Amendment, and um, uh, as as things changed, um, they also changed for us. When I and I coming up for me um, in the '60s. Uh, I was just entering my teen years, uh, think about you know sixty three sixty five on up. And um, you know i I had witnessed on television uh, racial you know, injustice. I had also witnessed it personally uh, growing up. I also witnessed it in my family. so I, I witnessed that that period of time. And I think you know people started to uh, put things in place, and as a society, we started to grow and we became more tolerant. And then I think what's currently happening now is that the, with, with the social media, um, we're now able to witness in real time things that were mentioned or things that were, were told, but not really witnessed and not really seen, and they didn't get the attention that they deserve. Uh, but I think with the advent of social media and of course technology, um, you know, things are are witnessed in real time. When you think about, you know, George Floyd, and you know, we all witnessed that. Uh, it wasn't a story told uh, by a news reporter or or a uh, an eyewitness told to someone else, or, or was something that was in a in printed media. It was something that was right before us. And if you had a heartbeat, you know, and a mind, you had to react to it. You could not just sit there and flip the channel and say, "Oh well, you know, move on." And uh, I think that really uh, uh pricked the consciousness uh, of America and America's conscious, and um, I, I think you know I, I mean, it's evident too, when you uh, uh think about the demonstrations, it wasn't just people of color, it was all people of all colors of uh, all genders, of uh, uh, um, different uh, um, you know nationalities, religions, creeds, uh, generational differences. But people came together under one cause saying that this is not the America that I want to live in. I want to live in a better America than that. And people took to the streets. And uh, to me, uh, I was glad, uh, I guess, to be alive, to witness something like that, because that's what we're all hoping for is that we can all just see each other as human beings as americans and display our humanity you know to one another
0: it shouldn't be that difficult greg to accomplish what we're we're talking about and but it is and the fact that we have been fighting these battles and we'll make progress and we'll take steps back and it's it's a long you know, the long journey, the long moral journey that we're all on, hopefully it bends towards justice and arcs towards justice. And Mm -hmm. we're all kind of in this, you know, together with this battle. And and that's why you're right. It was so powerful seeing in real time and it was painful, but it was so jarring that we all have to wake up and and hopefully do our part. And, And I'm glad that we were able to have the conversation that you held for our listeners. There was a really, the reason Greg and I wanted to chat Uh, End of September, there was this incredibly powerful program uh, that the Office of Multicultural Advancement put on with Greg Allen and Joe Ehrman, one of his teammates uh, for the Syracuse football teams uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, called the Syracuse 8, Then, Now, and Forever Orange, recognizing the 50th anniversary of the Syracuse 8 protests. Let's start there, Greg, as we delve into our, our next part of the podcast. The Syracuse eight and your connection to Syracuse, why did you want to come to Syracuse in the first place to play for Coach Swartzwelder and to be a member of the football team?
1: Of course, growing up uh, in the uh, uh, late 60s, um, Jim Brown was probably every African-American athlete's idol. Um, here he was, this, this great All-American football player, and even at the time when he played, recognized as probably being the best football player Um, in the country and and they say now ever. So I I had a a predisposition uh, to Syracuse based on Jim Brown. As I got older uh, and of course uh, started my athletic career in high school, I learned of others uh, that had gone to Syracuse like John Mackey, uh, Ernie Davis, the first African-American to win the Heisman, Floyd Little, Art Baker. Um, there were so many um, uh, African Americans had gone to Syracuse and had, you know, gotten degrees and gone on to the NFL, and that was the ideal situation um, uh, for any uh, high school athlete, and for for me as well to get to a Division One school, and especially one with the uh, preeminence as Syracuse, and being a running back, it was the most logical and ideal place for me to attend. Um, I had other offers from from other major Division one programs, but uh, um, Syracuse was always, you know, one of the ones at the top of the list.
0: What was it like for you, you know, to to, to start off, you know, what were your expectations for Syracuse and for the football team? And, and did you think that there was any, like, what was the racial climate like when you were a student back there too when you first walked onto campus?
1: When I first got to uh, Syracuse, um, uh, the enrollment on campus was, uh, I think, 16,000 plus. Uh, but there were only, I think, 160, uh, 70 African-American students, people of color on campus. I didn't understand that, um, you know, uh, my, my senior year. I, I got recruited. I came to campus. I went to a couple of events. And, of course, the events I went to, there were other African-American, you know, students at Syracuse there. Um, and so I just, you know, I thought of a place of 16,000, there had to be at least a couple thousand, you know, uh, African-American uh, students as well. I, I soon found out differently. I also found out that, you know, Syracuse, if there were a hundred players on the team, um, my freshman year was the first time that they had more than, or they had double figures of African-American ballplayers on campus where there were. Uh, ten of us on campus at the time, so I mean that told me that you know uh, the African American ballplayers who got recruited by Syracuse were were, were good players. Ended up playing, you know, and, and moving on to professional ranks. So the 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 climate on campus, um, you know, uh, you know people were just getting over the uh, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy assassinations. You know, uh, uh, James Brown uh, had a record out. I'm I'm black and I'm proud. And that was the theme going through, uh, I would say, uh, people of my generation, you know, 18 to 20 year olds, you know, that uh, uh, there's a new consciousness about oneself and, uh, one more, you know, and exploration of one's history and to not accept someone else's history, but to study the history for you know, ourselves. And um, so, yeah, so that was kind of the atmosphere, um, you know, at Syracuse and and, and in the country, really.
0: And so you you get to Syracuse and again, you mentioned all of these, you know, proud, talented African-American backs and athletes who have gone to Syracuse and you get there. Um, What I guess, when did it start to unravel? Uh, When did you start to realize that something, you know, wasn't quite right when it came to both, you know, the treatment um, from the coaching staff, from the administrators, and, and racially, when did you start to really think that you might be in trouble and that there might be uh, some action needs to be taken to kind of, you know, right this wrong?
1: I'm going to answer that in a, in a compound way, okay? I'll, I'll start with the most significant event for me. Uh, the most significant event occurred in the uh, uh, beginning of uh, spring practice uh, in, in 1970, which would have been my, uh, my junior year. And uh, um, prior to spring practice, you know, I'd been working out and, and getting ready for practice. But um, a couple students uh, approached me and uh, asked me if I would attend a meeting uh, that they were having with the dean, I think it was the dean of men, um, to get a black studies program at Syracuse University. Uh, there had been a successful launch at uh, Cornell University at the road. And of course, uh, you know, black African-American students at Syracuse hearing that wanted to do the same at Syracuse. Uh, they asked me to attend the meeting because they wanted to get a, a broad cross section of, of students and they wanted at least one or two student athletes. And so uh, they asked me and I I willingly accept it. So I was a participant, but I, I wasn't a, uh, one of the leaders of the, of the meeting. Uh, Well, two days later, I got a call to uh, come see the coach at the uh, field house. Didn't think too much of it. As I said, I was getting ready for spring ball. So I assumed that he wanted to talk about uh, my readiness and was I prepared, you know, to start spring spring practice. So I went to the field house, I was ushered into his office. I sat down, he uh, looked at me um, as he kind of peered over his glasses and he says, "Uh, what's this I hear about you and this black crap? And, um, of course, that wasn't a conversation that I was anticipating. So uh, I guess he could see, you know, by the look on my face that I was a little, you know, taken back by it. And so he repeated it. And I said, oh, are you talking about the uh, meeting I attended the other day? Well, you know, I explained to him why I attended and and what it was for. And so uh, he said to me, well, you have a decision to make, Alan. Do you want to be black or do you want to be a football player? As you would expect um, from a 19-year-old uh, you know, hearing something like this for the first time, I, you know, like, what, you know, uh, I don't quite understand. So he repeated it. You know, do you want to be black or do you want to be a football player? And so I said, well, coach, you know, uh, um, I know I'm going to be a, a, a football player for a short period of time, but I'm going to be black all my life. And I don't see how uh, I can separate the two. And I, I think that I'm capable of being both a football player, you know, and black. And he says, well, Alan, you, you have a choice to make. And as I, as I left the meeting, I still struggle with trying to describe exactly how I felt. But uh, lately, I've been using the, the, the uh, I guess, the antithesis of the Black Lives Matter. And was, what he was saying to me is that my black life, it didn't matter. You know, that I only mattered if I was a football player. And I should be identified as a football player and then black. And for me, it was, I want to be identified as a black man who also plays football. And so as I left there and, and you know, other things that happened to other players, uh, but that was a defining moment for me that I knew that, um, you know, we had been talking about, you know, the hiring of a black coach and and those type of things and this just further Cemented, uh, the, you know, my position that we needed a black coach. Or we needed someone, you know, to uh, um, be an advocate for us. As you know, uh, that didn't happen. Uh, they promised to hire a black coach. They didn't. Uh, they brought Floyd Little in for um, a couple of days, and uh, that was a breach of our agreement. And when they breached the agreement, we decided that we were going to to boycott uh, to let them know how serious we were about uh having a uh, someone uh for the uh, uh black players to have an advocate to speak to the coaching staff. And really um, Greg what yeah. you guys
0: are asking for is not anything unreasonable or unrealistic. I've read a couple of quotes where you said you felt like even you know the team doctors were hesitant to touch the African American players or lay hands on them with with their mm-hmm. treatments and you're not you're feeling that makes you feel subhuman and that's a horrible condition and a horrible feeling to to go through how what did it take and and when did you realize that you weren't alone that there were other players on the team that would make up the nexus of this syracuse eight the nine other players how did that groundswell start to gain
1: momentum so here i am a 18 year old uh, just graduated high school um about to start my college career um, at the ideal school uh, that I, I want to attend. I'm looking to get a, an education, a degree from Syracuse, play at Syracuse, and hopefully if things turn out well, of course, go to the NFL. So I arrived at the airport, uh, pick up my bags, and uh, the coach that recruited me uh, picked me up, and we put my stuff in the car and we're on our way to campus. So we get in the car and he says, uh, gee, Greg, so glad that you decided to come to Syracuse. Uh, we really think that um, um, you're gonna be an asset to the team. Too bad that um, freshmen can't play. We think that uh, you could help us out now. Um, but you know, while you're here, we want you to get a great education, enjoy yourself and enjoy your college experience, but um, don't date any white girls while you're here. We, we've, we've had problems with that. We don't want you dating any white girls. So when I got to campus, got settled and I met some of the other guys. And uh, I mentioned, I think at, at dinner or something in you know, my conversation with the coach and um, the other, you know, African-American athlete, ball players said the same thing. Say, well, hey, you know, I started laughing basically and said, well, gee, Greg, that's a conversation that we've all had. You know, everybody gets that conversation when, when you get here. So that was... The I guess the 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 eye opener for me that this wasn't going to be this um, um, this dream of American Pie, you know the you know going to college, having a great career, going to the NFL, and life is good. And then there were some other incidences uh, uh, that occurred: uh, players being called boy, or um, you know, um, if if one of them had a one of us had an afro and. You know, it was, uh, you know, get that fuzz, that fur off of your, off your head. Um, and uh, uh, another incident uh, uh, that impacted me had to do with my education. Uh, I returned from, uh, from campus and uh, I saw uh, several uh, ball players sitting with a tutor, being tutored. And um, they happened to be in the same math class that, class that I was in. And uh, I said, oh, that's interesting. And so um, I asked if I could join the, the class. And the tutor said, well, no, you have to uh, get permission from the coaching staff in order to uh, join the, the tutor session. So I said, okay. And so I went down and I told the coach that uh, hey, I'd like to join the tutoring session that the other ball players are, are involved in with this because I have the same math course. And uh, I was told, no, you know, that what I should do was study harder. I said, well, we're all in the same class, coach. I mean, I, why can't I sit <laughs> in the tutoring okay. session? And he said, well, no, you can't. You know, you need to study harder. I also told the story on the podcast on the 30th about, uh, you know, my major being changed. I came this year because as a biology major. When I told my coach that I needed to leave practice one day because of my lab, I was told that I couldn't uh, take any courses, I had a lab, and that if my major had labs that I was gonna have to change my major, they moved me from biology to what they call general education, which is just taking courses just to be eligible. Subsequently though, uh, with, with the help of uh, a couple other people found my way to uh, enter um, Newhouse. And that's where I graduated, graduated from Newhouse. Uh, but those were the type of things that that occurred.
0: How did the movement go from you and your encounters to then getting the rest of your teammates on board and mobilizing this movement?
1: We, we, we all had experienced something, all right? You know, we, you know, we would get together and we would talk, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, we would talk about it. And we got, it got to the point where we decided it was really probably after the Wisconsin game um, my sophomore year the Wisconsin game was an away game and it was the first time in Syracuse university history that they had started three African-Americans in the, in the backfield. And so of course we knew it was a historic day when we were in uh, Wisconsin. So the three of us got together uh, it was myself, John Gobolt and Al Newton or Alif Mohammed now. And uh, we said, Hey, listen, you know, we're going to, play so well today that, you know, there's no way that they're not going to be able to start, you know, three blacks in the backfield. And uh, we did, we scored the most points that Syracuse had scored. I'm thinking about three seasons between the three of us, we scored six touchdowns. I had the longest run from scrimmage uh, since Floyd Little for a touchdown. And all three of us had great games. And, uh, you know, rushed for over 100 yards. I mean, and uh, it was a big victory. By the time we uh, went to a Sunday evening uh, film session, uh, I was moved, uh, myself and John Gobble, were moved from first team to second team. And no explanation as to why. Uh, I went to the coach and I asked him, you know, uh, coach, you know, Why am I second team? You know, I I played well, I had a a great game. And it was, Greg, this is, you know, uh, it's just the way it is. I mean, we're we're moving you, you know, you're gonna play, so don't worry about it. You're just not gonna start. And of course, uh, my roommate, John Loban, had his own experience, you know, where he was the starting center on our freshman football team. Uh, Moved up to varsity and they moved them to defensive end although he had been recruited and was a high school All-American at center and at middle linebacker. And it was a commitment that he was going to play those positions, but then they decided that that he wasn't uh, going to play those positions. And so there were were sort of things like that 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 built up in all of us. And we just said, hey, look, you know, this isn't right. And what are we going to do? And uh, again, coming out of that civil rights era, we knew how important it was that if you saw something, you need to say something. You you need to do something. Are you gonna stand by and wait for the next guy? Or are you gonna be the one to step up? And as we talked, we decided that, well, you know what? We know that this happened to other African-American athletes and we too could, you know, just go along to get along to get a degree and get out and see what happens, or we could make change or we could attempt to make change. And as we, as we talked, we decided that it was more important for us to make life better for those who were coming after us because we knew what kind of the impact the boycott was gonna have on our, our potential careers. And that was the big decision for all of us. I mean, again, as I said, uh, if you're recruited by Syracuse, you know, more than likely you, you had a pretty good chance of getting to the next level. And I would say of the eight of us who boycotted, five of us were starters when we walked off the field. I, I was a starting tailback. I was a starting tailback running back you. And, but that's how important, you know, uh, uh, this idea of social justice was to us at the time, you know, that uh, we needed to do this. We needed to take the stand. Now, well, there's some naivete in all of us. Absolutely. Because we all thought that once people found out that we were telling the truth and understood why we were boycotting, that we'd be forgiven and we'd be welcomed back. And, you know, uh, we wouldn't be blackballed, you know, from the NFL or anything else. But of course that wasn't the case. Um, we didn't quite understand uh, what we were up against. And and it brings me to two things and I'll, I'll tell you the story. Uh, I found out that, courage has consequences and how I try to explain this to people is uh, uh, imagine eight young men in a rowboat with no maritime experience who are trying to get an ocean liner to turn we have enough courage all right to get the ocean liner to turn But what we weren't prepared for was the wake and so you know, we 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 faced it and we thought that that would be the end of it. But what we didn't realize that there was yet a wake to come. And uh, that is really what changed uh, our lives or had the most impact on our lives.
0: It's powerful to hear you talk about your story. It's powerful to hear you talk about the Syracuse Aiden and the selflessness of knowing. Yeah, you you said there's some naivete to your group and maybe you weren't fully aware. And you said maybe you thought the university would right the wrong and then welcome you back with arms wide open. And I know a couple of the players, uh, I think only two of the players actually did suit up again uh, for Syracuse after the protest, but you guys sacrificed your careers. You sacrificed a pro football career possibility in the name of what you believed in and, and your principles. And I think that's so commendable because it's not easy to do the hard thing, but it seems like for you guys, it wasn't that difficult because you had seen all these wrongs that were taking place and wanted to, to put a stop to
1: it. Oh yeah, John. But, um, I'll, I'll tell you the day that we decided to, to boycott, I don't think there was a dry eye in the room because, uh, and, and, you know, you've explained it well, uh, the other piece of that is, you know, it was, we were talking about childhood dreams, You know, uh, eight, nine, 10-year-old guys are playing wee football that one day want to play in the NFL. And here you are at one of the greatest schools in the country who is, uh, you know, a factory when it comes to turning out, you know, NFL players. And, um, you know, you're at the right school. You think you're at the right time. And um, uh, to walk away. Uh, and again, I mean, as I said, five of us were starters. And so it wasn't uh, uh, an impossible leap to think that if we had a great season, you know, that we were going to have an opportunity to to play in the NFL. I, I mean, I'm you know, not bragging, not boasting, but uh, I had uh, uh, scouts telling me that, you know, I was slated to be a number two, or number three draft choice. And that was important to all of us. But this this idea of social justice being put in the position to make a decision to do something uh that you know is correct and um uh, you know we you, you maybe you can't appreciate the historical value, but at the time we just knew that it was the right thing for us to do that someone had to step up someone had to make a sacrifice, and we decided that you know it was going to be the eight of us you know to do that i
0: I don't want to jump around too much, but you go from protesting, you sit out. The '70 season, and then the team struggles because clearly they're missing some tremendous talent. '71, uh, you know, you come you come back to the team, and you end up getting your degree in '73 from Syracuse. What was it like for you? Like, what made you come back, and how did that? How did did the university ever address any of the grievances, trying to facilitate a healing part of this process?
1: Not really. What 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 they did, you know, they produced a commission report. Right, which validated, you know, the institutional racism that we were talking about. Um, they put in a athletic governing board. Um, they, uh, I, ch- I guess, kind of changed uh, some of the reporting structure with the athletic director and the head coach and, and those type of things. But no one ever really addressed uh, what had happened uh, uh, to me.
0: It's, it's, it's remarkable, you know, Greg, to think everything you guys fought for and, you know, I'm sure there was there, I'm sure today there still can be some hurt, you know, some, some anger and some resentment, but um, how did you go from being uh, a young man who's fighting for these causes with your teammates? You graduate in 73 and there was a disconnect. I'm sure, you know, you didn't, I've read, you didn't come back to campus for almost two decades uh, between graduating, how did you reconcile, and how did you go about the healing process to go from being a scorned recent alum who felt the university turned its back on him to now being someone who still seems active and, and very passionate about Syracuse?
1: It took um, a couple of years uh, to, to to get over the you know the bitterness, and actually, um, uh, I'll tell you this part of this, my story anyway. Um, I ended up being drafted uh, by a Canadian football team, the Ottawa Rough Riders. I played, um, I was like their second round draft pick. I played uh, the first three exhibition games. And then I was called into the coach's office one day. And I was told that um, they were releasing me uh, because I had too much baggage. And when I asked them about What do you mean? What he meant by baggage? He referenced the Syracuse eight, and I guess the you know the the owners and coaching staff felt that uh, I would be a liability um, since I had participated you know in a boycott already at Syracuse. So yeah, so it followed me around you know for for several years. As I thought about it, as I said, you know I was I was bitter. There's there's no question about it. But I also learned or found out that the bitterness was a burden. I wasn't bitter about what I had done. I had made a sacrifice, you know, so that things would be corrected for others. And that's what we're supposed to do, you know, was, you know, was helping each other, you know, being my brother's keeper. And so the more I dealt with it from that perspective, You know, it wasn't about me, you know, that I had done something for somebody else. And in so doing, you know, um, nothing was taking away from me, that I willingly gave it up. I willingly gave up my eligibility. I willingly gave up my opportunities, you know, maybe in the NFL, because there was something more important than just me. And so once I Stop focusing on me and stop being bitter about uh, uh, my experience, I realized that Syracuse University was a better place because of what I had done. I also know that the uh, NCAA and other athletes across the country right, would now receive the same things that we boycotted for and which are now accepted as a part of every uh, major program. Expert medical care. We had a team doctor who who was a gynecologist by profession and training, not a, not an orthopedic. We talked about you know the educational piece, you know that you know student that that ball players needed academic advisors, not coaches. You know, trying to uh, um, get them to take courses and keeping them eligible eligible, but they need academic advisors so they could pursue their careers. We wanted um, um, coaching staffs to be integrated up until that time that, that we were talking about a a black coach. There are only, and I might be off by one, maybe two, there were only two assistant black coaches in division one at the time. And then the other thing was, you know, to make sure that players were assigned positions based on merit and not race. And by that, and that I'm talking about, if you look back, of course, in sports history in the fifties, 40s, 50s and 60s, black athletes were not allowed to play quarterback, uh, center or middle linebacker. They were called thinking positions. And there was also this undertone that it wasn't respectful for um, uh, a black man to be barking orders at, at other white men. So as I look back and, and all the things that were changed and. Uh, they came out of the Syracuse 8 boycott. And so we, we had some relevance to change uh, and it was historical. And so the more I thought of it from that aspect, I, I was proud of what I had done at Syracuse. I was also proud that I was a Syracuse graduate. I had a Syracuse degree, you know, and, and we used to say it then, I say it now, you know, Cuse got juice. You know, I, I, could, <laughs> I could walk in a lot of places with a Syracuse university degree, all right? And and get people's attention. I knew that, so I I looked at my experience as as one that was well served. Uh, I got a great education from a great institution, and while I was there, I got to help serve humanity, and uh, um, uh, two things I can be proud of.
0: We're very happy to have you back in the fold. Um, I know you you've come back to campus. You've been involved in you know, coming back together, uh, the every uh, third year reunion celebration for our black and Latino alumni, which is just that they recently had their CBT uh, earlier in October. And I know you participated in the Syracuse 8 uh, program that we had the end of September. It's great to have your your voice. It's great to have your expertise, you know, back uh, in the fold here at Syracuse. And it's just a constant reminder that the more things change, the more they stay the same regarding the social justice movements that we're going through right now in this country, you do feel like your Syracuse eight teammates were in at the ground floor and kind of laid the foundation along with bill Russell and Jim Brown, a lot of the pro athletes uh, from the late sixties who took their stances. You guys kind of feel like you were on the ground floor of that movement, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we know that. And think, think of it in this terms that we got, an institution like Syracuse University to admit that there was institutional racism and we got a commitment to them to make change, that they thought it was beneath a a university of their stature to have institutional racism uh, at the university and not do something about it. And that's important, that's really important. And so to to be a part of that on the ground floor, that not only to protest, but to see in real time actual change is amazing. And that's what was kind of emotional for me. I call it my John Lewis mo- mo- moment when I could look back, like he looked back over the bridge. I could look back from today and where we were 50 years ago and see where the university is today and and, and take solace that uh, you know uh, we 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 made a contribution. Um, we we helped uh, Syracuse continue its, its its greatness. And so uh, uh, to that uh, point, I'm I'm very proud of.
0: Well, and Greg, you should be very proud and your teammates should be very proud. And for our alumni who are listening, who can't get enough of this topic, there's a book Leveling the Playing Field that was published by the university uh, several years back talking about the Syracuse Eight. The group received the Chancellor's Medal for Extraordinary Courage back in 2006. And it's great to see the university and the Syracuse Eight coming back together and, and really moving forward because these are conversations that are very important and very timely. And I'm glad, Greg, you took the time to stop by our podcast here today, thank you so much for your expertise uh, for fighting the good fight, I wish you nothing but the best moving forward.
1: And, and the same for you, John, and thank you for taking the time uh, to do this and think of enough of uh, our story uh, that you would give it, you know, some time on your on your podcast. I appreciate it. You know, thank you.
0: Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.